You can support this podcast on patreon.com forward slash firstpawmedia. Here's to the adventure-seeking dog mushers out there. The hundreds of you who stand on the runners dreaming and thinking about the Northern Lights. Of course, there is something else you can do if you've got something to say. Start a podcast with First Paw Media and harness your creative side. Maybe even earn enough money. Enough money to tell yourself, hey, I'm not just a dog musher. I'm a rover. I'm a wanderer. I'm a voyager. I'm an explorer. Visit firstpaw.media. Mush on over today. Radio Free Palmer 89.5 KVRF presents Mushing Radio, hosted by Robert Forto. Mushing Radio is about dog-powered sports, living in the Great White North, and mushing. Visit our website at mushingradio.com. Here is your host, Robert Forto. Hello and welcome everybody. This is Robert and I'm joined by my co-host Tony and Michelle and we are doing our 2023 Iditarod coverage here on Mushing Radio on KVRF 89.7 in the Matsu Valley. RadioFreePalmer.org is our live streaming site and you can find all of our episodes over on FirstPaw.media. Make sure you check us out on social media as well by searching the same name. And we look forward to hearing from you on our social channels. Make sure you tag Iditarod51. Is that right, Tony? Yes. So with that, Tony, how's it going tonight? Uh, going well. I'm hoping that my voice holds out. It was a very cold morning down there at the uh, Alaska Native Medical Center. And, of course, me yelling, team, and please stay off the trail, and making sure all of my team knew where they were going as well. Uh, I'm, I'm starting to feel kind of hoarse, so hopefully, uh, hopefully my voice makes it through this tonight. <laughs> we, we will make it through. Michelle, how's it going tonight? You know, it was a long and eventful day for us as well, because not only was Tony holding up at the uh, ceremonial start at her guard post, we were actually teaching students from Alaska Pacific University all about dog mushing today. It was a beautiful day out on the trails. I think we started at about negative 20 out on the swamps and uh, ended up being a bluebird day for sure. So folks that are just now tuning in, it is the ceremonial start day of Iditarod. It's always a fun and eventful day. Uh, as Michelle mentioned, we were holed up here in Willow, but Tony, you were in the middle of the action. Give us a report from the ground, please. You know, our, our big question was, what was it going to feel like and what was it going to look like today at the ceremonial start with only 34 teams essentially going down the trail, the 33 that, of course, they're headed to Nome starting tomorrow, and our honorary musher, junior, musher, junior Iditarod champion. Um, and really, other than the fact that it ended pretty quickly, uh, we're used to being out there for a couple of hours with dog teams, and it was really over just an hour um, with the teams. It, it felt like Iditarod. It actually, there was a lot, there were a lot of people, uh, more than we even had last year. Uh, downtown was also, from everything that I've heard, just as busy and crowded and noisy as, as usual. Um, so overall, it, it felt like an Iditarod start. It was very exciting, very, very celebratory. So I, I think overall, we, we had a successful ceremonial as uh, we had hoped in my section over there by the Native Medical Center. We have a corner that is notorious for taking out teams. And this is the first time in my adult memory that we haven't had even a single crash on that corner that we have. Um, and that, ha I have to give a shout out to those, uh, it, whether it was Mark Nordman, Carl Heidelbach, uh, Derek Petty, or whoever was giving that part of the trail report for the ceremonial start to the mushers. They made sure that they were very aware of the corner and we did our best to remind them that, hey, this is the corner they warned you about. Everyone took it well. Um, so it was, it was just a really great time. Very cold. One of the coldest ones we've had in a while, but a beautiful day nonetheless. Uh, great for the dogs. 
not so great for my toes. I post hold and didn't realize that my boot had filled up with snow, and so I had very cold toes afterwards. But uh, well worth it. We had a lot of fun, and it was it was a great time. If you were in Alaska in the Anchorage area and did not come out and see this, you missed out. Yeah, I I'm starting to see the pictures uh, filtering in, and it looks like mm-hmm. everybody was having a great time, especially the mushers. I think I saw. Uh, a really cool shot of Eddie Burke coming down. He had, looks like mm-hmm. he had a beer in his hand and a big old smile on his yep. face. And I saw Jason Mackey and his, um, I guess now the Mackey trademark red suit. It seems like uh, both of those guys are have worn those in the past. So that kudos to that. And he had on this fancy Oakley looking shades for sure. So they all looked really good, but we were talking just before airtime, and you were talking about Mike Williams Jr., and he did not have a tag sled. And there's an interesting story to that, isn't there? Yeah, so um, I was at Meredith Mapes, who is, of course, an Iditarod veteran and one of our favorite people. She uh, was standing with me. She's one of my team. They're volunteering, and she just happened to be really surprised. She said, oh, Mike doesn't have a tag sled. And I was like, well, there have been teams that have come through, not this year, but other years, but they don't have a tag sled either. And she's like, they're supposed to. And I'm like, well, maybe he just didn't want to have one. She's like, you get fined if you don't have a tag sled. You need to have that tag sled to have more control. She's like, that's something that they they let us know about. So I, I actually learned something today at the, the ceremonial start. I did not know that there were fines given out for that uh, sort of thing in in the ceremonial. I know that they can get fined during the race, but I didn't know that that applied to the ceremonial in ways, too. And you had said also that they can be fined if they don't have the minimum number of dogs, and you believe that's 10. Is that right? Yeah, I think that the minimum number for the ceremonial start is 10. They don't. You know, they understand that they don't want to have all 14 or back in the day 16 team, uh, dog teams because that's too much power going through a very busy city um, where they're very close to major roadways. Um, but for the most part, you know, I, I don't think I've ever seen, honestly, I don't think I've ever seen a team leave with less than what the minimum number is for whatever year that they ask. They, you know, they want to have a full team. This is a ceremonial start. It may not be about the race, but you do want that for pictures, for sponsor purposes, whatever. They want to have the crowd see a full team. And and so I kind of get the finding. I just didn't know that. So I'm going to have to pick Meredith's brain. I'm going to be like, okay, what else can you get in trouble for during the ceremonial start? Yeah, and the ceremonial start is not always without drama. I know in the last few years we've had uh, folks uh, withdraw. They've injured themselves in one way or the other. I believe it was a concussion one year or something like that. And we've had loose dogs that have gotten loose. I believe that was after the race where one of the team dogs had had jumped out of the dog box and it took a couple of days to find it and all that. Speaking of which, give give us a quick (laughs) update about the Ferrandi dog. I know we talked about that on one of our previous shows, I believe. They're all running together now. Mm -hmm. But give us a quick update since we kind of have a a captive audience. Yes, so it has been confirmed as of yesterday, or was it this morning? Again, like you said, they all blur together. I believe it was this morning. Um, Donna, who was a dog missing out of Frank Haberman's team, his trailer had gotten in a a trailer-only accident on the Seward Highway heading home to the Kenai Peninsula after the Rondi races, and Uh, A lot of the dogs got loose. All of them were recovered safely, no injuries, except for one, a little white dog named Donna. She took off towards Girdwood, and they did find her, I believe, in that area. Um, And they found her, but they had to continue to coax her to come to them. They put up a live trap, which they use often when trying to secure a, a, a dog that needs to be returned, not necessarily just a mushing dog, any dog. Um, They had a team of expert recovery people there, and she was found, and she has been returned to one of the handlers who is taking her home. Such a good story. We always like hearing those because that is by far one of the busiest 
sections of road in Alaska and pretty dang dangerous in the wintertime for sure. So my last question about the ceremonial start, I guess, if you will, is last night we talked about sort of that celebratory nature and that party atmosphere. Did you see anything fancy out there? We talked about decorated sleds and all that last night. Was mm-hmm. anything like that passing by? Uh, the only one that really stands out as far as like a decorated sled was Christian Turner, of course, running Mitch TV's A-team. He was asked very late in the season if he wouldn't mind taking them to Nome. He's from Australia, and he had a giant Australian flag on the back of his sled. Um, Other than that, I think the most celebratory sled has to go to Eddie Burke Jr. as he came by us. Like you said, you saw a picture of him with a beer in his hand. He had either he was nursing that beer or he had more than one with him because as he came by us later, he was he was down in that beer. He he was really just playing it up for the cameras, having a great time. I think that's what happens when you have someone who is a fan of the race then get to run the race after working so hard to qualify for it. I think that's just what you see. Um, it kind of was a throwback feel to Jeff King one year also did kind of a celebratory, you know, hold the beer up in the air as, as the crowd cheered and, and then took a big drink of it. So uh, very, very classic Iditarod trail gating party, as they call it, um, feel to it. So I, I think those are the two that stand out. For me, I was so focused more on if they were going to take the corner too sharp and end up biffing it and, you know, filling their faces full of snow as they uh, collapse the sled. I I didn't really notice anything too big other than Eddie and, and Christian both stand out. Very good. Michelle, do you have anything to add or questions for Tony on the ceremonial? Well, I'm just wondering if there were any cops out there because in the state of Alaska, you can get a DUI by dog team. <laughs> yes, there yes. were several on there were several on our corner, and I don't think they know that rule because they were clapping right along with everybody. Else. Well, I, it is at the officer's discretion, but I just thought I'd bring up that. I have a really interesting story, and and I'm going to share that because I bet a lot of our listeners did not listen to that episode. When I was doing our uh, Dog Driver podcast with my buddy KP, we had probably one of the best guests that I've ever had on the show. His name is Jim Art. He lives down in Homer now, but he... Uh, I believe he got a DUI on a dog team. Uh, he was he was taking somebody, if I can remember correctly, he was taking somebody to the airport in his dog bag, and he got pulled over uh, on the side of a snow berm, and he actually got a DUI, or at least a ticket, I don't know if it was a DUI, for... Um, quote-unquote, drinking and driving a dog team. If you want to hear that episode, you can find it over on our Dog Works radio feed. And uh, it's it's a good one. Like I said, his name is Jim Arndt, A-R-N-D-T, I believe. And maybe I'll put a link for it in our show notes. So that's an interesting fact, Michelle. And I'm glad you brought that up. Where did you find that little nugget? I am a paralegal for the state of Alaska. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Do you have anything else to add before we move on? No. All right. All right. So uh, in this second segment, what we usually do is we give a story about a musher. We call it a musher profile or the musher of the day. And we decided last night that it was important to talk about Lance Mackey. He is the honorary musher for not only Iditarod this year, but just about every other mid-distance race up here in in, uh, in our state. He was the honorary musher for Junior Iditarod. I believe the Willow 300. Uh, what what other ones uh, was he a part of, uh, 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 Tony? Uh, it was the Willow. I want to say that they, it was not Yukon. Was it the Yukon Quest? At this point, you know, it, I'm not sure which one because some of them don't actually do honorary mushers, but I want to say the Knick also had him as their honorary. Yep, that, that's, that the other one. that's the one I was thinking of. The Junior Iditarod, the Iditarod, yeah. 
the Willow 300 and uh, the um, the Knick. The so, Tony, let's let's get started with this. I'm sure you know quite a bit of Lance's story, and we could probably fill episodes about this. But what do you think? Uh, what what do you want to share to sort of honor Lance and uh, his his legacy here on Mushing Radio, and of course for Iditarod with him being the honorary musher? You know, I kind of bringing it back to that corner um, that we trail guard at. Um, it hit me just a little while ago as I was thinking about how strange it was that we didn't have any crashes. And the only thing I could think of was, I was, was um, one of Lance's final times in Iditarod. It wasn't his final one. It was the one before that, I'm pretty sure. Um, he, it was, I believe, 2019. And he, we had to stop his team because there was a pileup about six different teams between the corner and the tunnel that goes under Ambassador Drive there um, over by the medical center. And that was very odd. We don't normally stop teams. They actually discourage us from getting in the way of the teams, but it felt like there was just no room for one more team to go through. And Lance happened to be that next musher, and I had a group of new volunteers and they, I just told them the next team that comes by, you stop them. You stop every team until I tell you that it's clear for another team because I don't want one more group of dogs in this giant tangle. And um, so, you know, they just stop him and everything. Most of them not even realizing because it was just so chaotic. We didn't have time to really realize it was Lance Mackey. And um, the tangle got done. They were all starting to go. So I waved to my crew saying, okay, you can let the team start coming through again. And just as I said that, and they, you know, Lance pulls the hook and starts to come toward us, one of the tag sleds in the middle of this cluster of dogs and people, the tag sled just, I swear to God, falls over. There's nothing that should have knocked this tag sled over. And so this big pileup happens again as Lance is coming around the corner. There's no time to stop his dogs again. And he just did this amazing weave through it. And if you're on Twitter, um, the ugly dogs, several of them were there on Ambassador Drive. They got great video of it. I promised to go find it um, for a friend because she wanted to see it when I was talking about it earlier today. Um, but it was just, it was it was a masterclass on dog training because they just wove through this chaotic moment of, I think there were four teams that he had to weave through before getting to the tunnel. And it was like no big deal. He just shrugged it off and everything. And all I could think when I realized that we had zero crashes this year and it's Lance's year as the honorary musher, I'm like, you know, I bet he just decided that everybody just needed to have just a magic ride through Anchorage because my understanding is there were no mishaps anywhere else on the trail this year. It was one of the most perfect runs from beginning to end. So I feel like Lance is very much a part of this race. We knew he was going to be, he's synonymous with Iditarod, but it just, it kind of feels like he did have like just the last little wink to all of us. Like you've got this guys just, take it to the next level. I like it. I don't think I've ever heard that story before. I would be interested to see that video as well when you post it. And you can definitely mm -hmm. find all of that action over on Twitter. It seems to be that's where at least um, the hardcore fans are, at least during Iditarod, is, is, that's probably the best place because it's a 24-hour, very fluid platform and, and almost mm -hmm. perfect for a race like this, unlike football where it's, you know, one and done in three hours. This is going on and on and people can come in and out there for sure. So as we mentioned, he was the honorary musher. You think that he had a, a little bit of a play, at least spiritually today on the trail. Mm -hmm. What else would you like to mention as, um, as a story or a tribute or an honoring of the honorary musher? Because we don't talk too many too many times about the honorary mushers here on our Iditarod coverage. And I think that's something we should add 
every year here on this ceremonial night is we honor that that person uh, that that you know was such a part of this race, and you know that it's a good time to do that here at this segment. Do you agree? I do agree. You know, it's it's hard though because Iditarod so often doesn't even really announce the honorary musher or make a big deal of it themselves. Right. Um, there are many times that I don't even know who the honorary honorary musher is or why they're important. They do get a little blurb in the race guide, but I never get to read the race guide until like after the race because it comes to my house while I'm driving up to Anchorage, which I know is my own issue. It's not really Iditarod's issue. Everybody gets it around the same time. But, um, you know, I, I think, too, for, for Iditarod, I have to give the ITC, whoever is in charge of choosing the honorary musher, I have to give them props because they really did listen to fans. We know that they put the uh, bib number 13 on the musher in the logo for this year. All of the other issues with the logo aside, they did do that. They put the 13 there. I did agree that they didn't need to retire that number. I, I think it should stay in, um, especially as long as any Mackie is racing, because I feel like it's the Mackie number, not necessarily just Lance's number. Um, but they they really did listen to fans. Fans from the moment Lance passed, the first thing people asked is, will he be the honorary musher this year? And I said, you know, when I started getting that question asked, I said, you know, they typically already kind of have an idea of who their honorary musher is by now. I, I wouldn't, you know, like start tar and feathering these folks if they choose a different honorary musher. It could be a, it's already been chosen. They've already talked to the family or whatever. But they did. They they announced very soon after that Lance would be the honorary musher. And they have done very, very well to tribute one of the race's most prominent mushers in its history. He has done something that no one else, I think the closest anyone has come since Lance was Dallas Seavey. And he wasn't able to do four consecutive races and certainly not was not able to do four consecutive wins in both Iditarod and Quest with two of those overlapping each other. Um, that's something we won't see again, especially if the Yukon Quest never goes back to a thousand mile race. Lance changed the sport by bringing it back to its roots, but also doing what many analysts said was the impossible, which was doing 2000 mile races and not just finishing them, but winning both of them. And Lance did that. Lance was an underdog even when he was the favorite to win. And that's something that really drove the sport's popularity for a little bit longer than we probably would see it. We may have seen the smaller roster before the 50th had we not had the resurgence of the comeback kid story of Lance Mackey. Very well said. Michelle, do you have anything else to add about Lance? Um, yeah, I really enjoyed getting to know him sitting across on a picnic table in the Chugiak Dog Mushers Association Clubhouse. And he sat there with you and I for over an hour after the races were done and just spoke very candidly to us about his mom and how much she enjoyed meeting us later on in her life. And I, I really felt honored that he spoke with us about that. But I also felt honored that he spoke with us about the fact that he was a mushing radio fan. Yep, he was. I remember that. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a cool story with Lance. And I had a lot of run-ins, all positive with Lance. Uh, every time I, I had a chance to talk with him, he was always uh, uh, one that would lend an ear and a voice. And a lot of people will say that in the sport. He was, he was one that would do that. And I think that that's an important part of his legacy because he wasn't just out there just to win. Of course, he was dominant for, for a very long time, but he helped a heck of a lot of people 
out there uh, get their start in mushing. And I'm, I'm trying to just think about all the people that, uh, you know, had either worked with him or been a part of his kennel or, you know, ran the B teams or whatever. and Or just and simply inspired. Just inspired by him. Mm-hmm. And of course, all the people uh, around the world, whether it be uh, athletes or, or whomever, uh, he, he touched them. And I want to end that uh, Lance Mackey tribute to what Barb Reddington said. I guess that was last night mm-hmm. or this morning or whatever. I urge you guys to go check that out. He she did a great yeah. job with a a little tribute and sort of sort of a timeline of his history and, and what he did and all of uh, all of his accomplishments and 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 I guess lastly is he left so soon. He he was almost the exact same age as me. I think he was born in late 1970 and I was born early 1971. I just turned 52 just the other day and I think he was 51 yeah. when he passed he is that right yeah, Tony yeah yeah I think he was actually 52 when he passed so um yeah I think he's just a year older than you yep so very close in age and and when I think back on that I think oh my goodness uh that is such a young age when you're thinking about yourself of course uh 52 but you it, know he had so he had such a life that was so hard in so many ways, sometimes because of his own choosing, sometimes just the cards he was dealt that, you know, he didn't, he didn't always feel 50 or, or 40, you know, as he was winning, he didn't feel that for, he felt older in many, many ways. Yep. Um, you know, so it, it, it's so, it's still so weird to keep talking about him in the past tense because it doesn't feel like Lance should be gone. Um, and so, it, you know, it's nice to tribute him. I hope that this isn't, I, I know that this needs to be a closing of a chapter in a way, but I would hope that we continue to talk about him like we talk about Susan Butcher. Today is Susan Butcher Day. The first Saturday in March is a an Alaskan holiday named for Susan Butcher. I want to start a petition the first Sunday in March should be, or at least the the restart somehow figure that out because sometimes sunday does fall before the first saturday um somehow make the restart or some day that's significant for iditarod lance Mackey day because he's just as synonymous and just as important to iditarod as susan butcher you know i don't know if i've been living in a cave my entire life uh <laughs> especially being involved with mushing over 30 years now. And I did not know anything about Susan Butcher Day until Friday. And I think it was from your post where you said, Happy Susan Butcher Day. And I thought, hmm. Butcher Eve, yep. Yeah, was this her birthday? And then, of course, I thought thought about, okay, well, it has to be uh, Iditarod. But I had no idea that that was... Yeah. One of those proclamations or whatever the governor does to make those, yeah. those special days. Yeah. Very, very interesting. Yeah. Michelle, did you know it was Susan Butcher Day today? Crickets. She didn't either, Tony. <laughs> so here we are on a very popular podcast who <laughs> who claim to be somewhat of the experts. Now, we all know, according to the Internet, uh, you know everything, second only to Barb no, Reddington. Barb- Barb Reddington knows everything. I know, but the other two hosts had no idea. So I guess there's a little bit of an egg on our face. So very interesting. Let's ask the folks out there on social media. If you're a diehard, you probably knew. But if you are not a diehard uh, Iditarod fan, did you know it was Susan Butcher Day today? Let us know in the comments or on our social channels, and we will keep a tally. So speaking, and I, I'm just going to say in our defense, with all these days, and this is not to disrespect Susan Butcher, but with all these made up <laughs> days since the social media blew up, it's really hard to keep up with all of the days now. It is. So that's my defense. So speaking of tallies, let's switch gears a little bit and jump into our question of the day and talk a little bit about our question last night that we posed. Last night we posed the question. I, I just got to say, Patty Christensen, she just nailed it for us this year. She did. She gave, she gave us all sorts of questions, and I'm urging other people to ask questions as well. That's what this segment is all about. So we asked 
on Twitter. I'm not sure if you asked uh, Tony on Facebook, but you asked how people got involved with the sport of mushing. How did they find the sport? Was it a book they read or a movie they watched or whatever? And we got a whole bunch of responses, well over 60 responses, I believe, at the last time I looked at it from folks telling us about where they came from. Now, of course, a lot of those guys are the ugly dogs, and we're going to talk about who the ugly dogs are in just a second. But can you read a couple of your favorites? I know you have one that really stands out, Tony. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so before I say that, I did post it on Facebook, and I did post it on Twitter, and I was actually really surprised because I didn't post it until almost, I think, 9 o'clock last night. And um, so I figured most people were in bed, but I got really quick responses on both Twitter and Facebook. And it was kind of an interesting uh, conglomeration of reasons why they're mushing fans or how they found out about Iditarod. And it was interesting to see how many said, well, I learned about Iditarod when I was a young kid, but I didn't, I wasn't a fan of mushing or or of Iditarod until much later. And it was because of social media that I really got involved. Um, a lot of answers, especially on Facebook, were from family members of mushers who were like, my kid is running the Iditarod this year, or my kid ran in the past. Um, that was really cool for me to see. And then on Twitter, you did have a lot of ugly dogs chiming in, and I expected just a ton of answers of, well, it was because of Blair Braverman. And a lot of that was, but so many ugly dogs that I didn't realize not only knew about Iditarod, but it followed Iditarod um, for a long time and then just kind of started to fall away from it once Insider came along and, you know, closed it off. And so you didn't have ABC Wild World of Sports anymore, which used to cover it when I was oh very young. Oh, my God, I remember that. I remember yes, that now yes. that you said that. Yeah. Dang it. Yeah. Yeah, they had it in the 80s and 90s. Um, if you go on YouTube, you can actually watch the coverage of Libby Riddles winning in 85. And then there's one in 89, I think, that followed the rivalry of Susan Butcher and Rick Swenson. And Rick Swenson does not come off well in those interviews. Let me tell you, it, it's hilarious. And now I understand why my mom was like, you will never cheer for Rick Swenson because she was totally a Susan Butcher fan. <laughs> but... Um, but yeah, so, you know, they're like, yeah, we used to watch that, but then that stopped in the early 90s. And then as more and more sports reporters stopped covering it, I just kind of forgot about it. And Insider, I'm sure, didn't help when they decided to put the paywall up for both the GPS and, of course, the video. Um, kind of understanding, but I've, I've said my piece many times about how I think they could improve that. Um, and I've been told I'm wrong, so we'll not get into that tonight. But um, I did have one that really stood out to me that I wanted to read in full and not just paraphrase was um, at May Nina 73 on Twitter, uh, Raven May. She's uh, a longtime ugly dog and um, big fan of the sport. She's got a husky herself. But she said, I first learned about mushing through PETA as a teen. As in, yeah, that animal activist, PETA. Um, she says, years later, I got my first husky and went to a local race just to see what the truth was. I saw just how wrong PETA was. I learned how to do it and got hooked for life. And I just want to say, so often I see mushers, and even when I worked for mushers, it was one thing. Whenever someone who just, you know, spewed the PETA propaganda at you, it was like, you know what? Come to the kennel. We'll let you come. You know, you don't even have to tell us that you're with, you know, just book a tour. We'll even comp you a tour if you want. You can come behind the scenes. We'll show you what we don't show the tourists. And then you can tell us, you know, where we can improve or why, you know, you don't, you don't have to like it. Just come see it for yourself. And, um, you know, they almost never take you up on the offer. And yet here was someone who did believe a lot of the propaganda, but decided, you know what, before I make my final decision, let me go do that. So I just really liked that story. And that was one of my favorites. Some people were naming books that they read as kids that I had totally forgotten about. 
Um, just a lot of great answers. So if you find me on Twitter or on Facebook, look for that post because there's a lot of, and keep answering because I'm really interested to see. Yeah, so, me. So Robert, I don't follow Tony on Twitter, so I didn't get a share. <sighs> I didn't get a share of my story about how I got into dog mushing or heard about dog mushing. I gave a little hint the other night, but I totally got into dog mushing because I met Robert online through a chat room and asked a question about how to train my Malamutes to pull my kids up the hill. And, you know, 23 odd years later, here we still are. So I found out about mushing through AOL chat room. Hey, that's that's pretty impressive from back <laughs> from back in the day. So yeah, I thought it was cool that same post that you read. It uh, it harkened back to what I said uh, last night as well, where I thought a lot of mushers came or a lot of people came into mushing is they had that one or two dogs, whether it would be the husky or or whatever northern breed. And then they they sort of got into it that way, and I think that that was that was cool to hear that. But yeah, those books that they were li- uh, re- uh, reading, uh, listing off, I hadn't heard of a lot of those in a long time, either. And I thought that was cool to to hear that. And of course, we heard about Balto and you know those those types of books, mm-hmm. and I think that was cool as well. So before we ask today's question, I think it's important to talk about who the ugly dogs are and we we've had we've had full episodes about this group uh for a long time they need to go back and listen to alex stein's uh yeah th- those episodes episode. can you give us for folks that have no idea what we're talking about uh you know why are you guys always down in the dogs why are you always talking about ugly dogs for folks that are listening <laughs> that have absolutely no clue what we're talking about can you give us a very brief synopsis of who this force of a fandom is, especially on Twitter. So first of all, we are not going after any four-legged canine, three-legged canine or anything like that. Ugly Dogs has absolutely nothing to do with actual dogs and their attractiveness. Um, What it was, was Musher Blair Braverman. She's an author who is also an adventure seeker, and she is a dog musher and has been for a while. She decided in 2018 to sign up for Iditarod. She'd made her qualifiers and everything like that. I think she just had one that she had to do before race day or something like that. But she started really posting a lot on her Twitter when she decided to really go gung-ho with this uh, idea of Iditarod. She decided to introduce the world uh, to her team, to their lifestyle there with her husband, Quince Mountain, who has also run Iditarod. Didn't finish, but he's run it. Um, And she started telling stories about these dogs and they were really sweet and cute and very much like done in a style that almost felt like a child, a children's book. Um, You know, she gave off all of these personalities and beautiful little stories of her dogs and a lot of fans started to follow her. And then as she was getting closer to Iditarod, she did like many mushers have done. She decided to do a video, um, you know, doing the whole uh, showing what she she puts on to go mushing. And some guy decided to mansplain to her that she was overdressing for the occasion because all, when he takes his dog out for a run, not a mush, a run, you know, like a run around the block, all he needs are some jeans and whatever. And I think this is the story. The ugly dogs are going to jump on me. They're going to be like, no, no, that's not actually the first time we had this. But um, he responded back to her and said something like, go back to your ugly dogs, Karen, or something like that. Cause she totally just blew him away with that's nice. But you know, I, I don't go on a walk for an hour with my dog. I go out on a walk for like three days to a week with my dogs. So it was, I mean, it was a really nice comeback. I was very proud of her, but um, he, he told her to go back to her ugly dogs. So her fans glomped onto this and decided they were her ugly dogs because of course, none of her dog team is ugly. They are the most beautiful dogs. So that's where the story of the ugly dogs came from. I think I may have, have combined two stories and I apologize guys. I know that I am a part of the ugly dog community, but trying to keep all of those stories straight 
my brain just can't handle that and all of the facts and all of the other stuff that I need to know. Um, but it's a community that has gone above and beyond just uh, fan or hero worship of Blair and her husband, Quint. Um, it, they have, they came up with a, a charity drive during Iditarod in 2019, where it's called the I Give a Rod, and I think they, like, I, they have raised so much money in the last four Iditarod, three, it'll be, this will be the fourth year, um, they've raised so much money for so many different charities, I think it started with just looking up schools on, you know, in rural Alaska to try and help them out. To um, you know, they they're a community all their own. They're a family. It's actually really impressive. So the ugly dogs are just—they're amazing. I, they come and help me at the at the ceremonial start. I had several ugly dogs with me today. They're the ones that actually stopped Lance Mackey. So they're great in that way. You know, they're they're just they're willing and ready and they're eager and they just love this. They've really glommed onto it. Many of them were iffy about the, the Iditarod and mushing in general because of what they had read elsewhere because they're all animal lovers and they don't want to see any of them hurt or whatever. But they've learned and embraced the sport. And it's just, it's so cool to see because it's brought in a lot of new blood to the fandom. And I know there are people that have been naysayers about it because they kind of upset the status quo of what a mushing fan quote unquote is um but i love it it's brought some new energy to it they've got some great ideas i wish that they had been acknowledged more for their i give a rod especially that first year when they just blew things out of the water the media gave them some credit but i wish i wish the i did a rod had given them more credit I, I totally agree. And just a quick personal connection to that uh, original story you talked about. Uh, go back to your ugly dogs. Way back in the day, there there was a connection with me and Blair and Dane Cook and a couple of my dogs that I posted on that feed. Uh, two dogs, Bodie and Frosty. And I posted on, I believe it was on that same thread. I said, hey, Blair, these are my two ugly dogs, Bodie and Frosty. And of course that blew up. And then we started talking about how <laughs> Dane Cook starts to started talking. Dane Cook, the comedian back in the day was talking about Karen's and all of that. And it's interesting how all of that has developed. And, and of course it's not just the ugly <laughs> dogs that have lashed onto that, but it, it is no, not only Iditarod and mushing, but there is, all sorts of pop culture references in with that. And as you mentioned, the the adventure writing that Blair does and, and all of that, it's just very cool to see how a little community and you and me and Alex and a couple other guys were were really the the first on Twitter that, that really covered uh, Iditarod on at least a, a nightly basis or at least, you know, a somewhat consistent basis during Iditarod and then after Iditarod. And it's just amazing to see how that very small group that we had uh, back in the day has now grown to, I don't know, do you think it's thousands or what? Well, you look at Blair's followers and she's got thousands of followers. And I know that I've got, I've gained at least 1,500, probably close to 2,000 followers on my Twitter just because of Blair. So yeah, she's got a ton of followers and bringing back that you know back in the day you know 2010 that time period two of the people that um, were very much in that very small group of I did a fans we were hashtag I did a fans we weren't even musher twitter yet uh, two of their two of them are named Karen so I just always think that's funny but also Quince Mountain found us and that's how I got connected with Blair was Quince was very interested, I think, in the early part of their relationship. He wanted to learn more about dog mushing, and that's how he kind of stumbled onto us yep. uh, there on Twitter. And that started just a really great friendship with me. He actually called me in 2011, or not called, but messaged me in 2011. He's like, 
So what do you think about me applying to work for Danny Stevie and Seward? Is that a good idea? And I'm like, that is one of the best ideas. And so um, it, you know, just how it's come full circle in the little bit of time since then, um, where Blair ran and finished, I did her on 2019 and Quince ran the next year. And unfortunately, because of COVID and 5,000 different other things, he didn't make it past Unilaclete, I believe. Um, but, you know, it's just, it's, it, it's such a small community and yet it's grown leaps and bounds in a lot of ways, especially on Twitter because of Blair and Quinn. So definitely, yeah, definitely check it out, especially if you are active on Twitter hashtag ugly dogs and it goes back literally for years i mean you could go down <laughs> that rabbit hole and probably find that picture of of bodie and frosty frosty has since passed on bodie is 12 years old now he happened to go to a school presentation just the other day so bodie is still uh, alive and kicking if you will as as part of of team Aneke here in willow so uh, there is that for sure so very cool story. And of course, we will mention that name several times in our coverage because that's that's our fan base. Mm -hmm. That's like the, um, you know, the terrible towels in Pittsburgh or Raider Nation, <laughs> uh, you know, in Oakland, L.A. slash um, Vegas. It's, it's sort of the same thing, just in a different sport for sure. So let's end on our uh, question of the day. I think it's going to be an interesting one since we just talked about where a lot of our fans hang out, but our question of the day that we would like to have answered, and Tony is going to post them on social media after the show so you can respond directly, but the question is, is where are you uh, following Iditarod from? Where are you listening to this podcast from? Where do you uh, reside? Where is home base? Let us know in the comments on Twitter and uh, definitely tag the ugly dog hashtag. I think that will get a lot of comments back and forth. And I think it's cool. So let's start it off. Uh, Tony, where do you uh, enjoy your fandom from? And uh, is that the same as home base? Uh, yeah. So other than this weekend, uh, following I did a rod, you know, here in Anchorage and then out there in Willow tomorrow, uh, I mainly, my home base is Kenai, Alaska, uh, where I was born in, well, I wasn't born, but I was raised there. Um, and that's, I, that's home base in, in so many ways. It's the peninsula. There aren't as many peninsula mushers these days running the big races, but uh, it's still one of the, the great places, as we talked about in an earlier podcast, to run dogs, especially out there in the Caribou Hills, your favorite place. Yes. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but yeah, that's where that's where we watch and that's where we follow Insider and all of the other stuff. So, Michelle, we are in the mushing capital of the world, but we have a cool little name for our cabin. So where do we hail from on this podcast, this this studio? And uh, where do we follow mushing and the added rod? Right here from Fortos Fort. Fortos Fort, that is the name of our little place. Uh, we even have a sign out front with a picture of our old lead dog, a, a carving actually, uh, a Neke right there. And anytime somebody pulls up to our place, you will see Team Neke and Fortos Fort. We host right here in our home. Uh, we've done this podcast at Radio Studios before, but we have everything set up. And uh, interestingly enough, we're also professional dog trainers. So trying to juggle podcasting and several barky out of control untrained dogs is always a chore but we managed to do so don't we michelle we sure do and some of them are ugly dogs <laughs> literally but uh they are loved for sure by their owners and we try to do our best to take good care of them so that is the question where are you listening from where do you hail from where are you a mushing fan from let us know in the comments and we will uh, take those comments all throughout the day and or tonight and tomorrow. And we will post the most interesting ones tomorrow. Tony, let's have you go first. Did we miss anything? Anything else you want to add before we close? Nope. Other than if you are in the 
Anchorage and Matsu Valley area, go out tomorrow. The race starts at 2. Get there before then. Cheer on the teams, especially since there's only 33 teams. It's just going to be an hour out of your day. Yes. Go out there, cheer them on, and, and watch, you know, watch them take off. There are so many great stories going out on that trail, and there are nine rookies out there that really need the love and support as they chase that dream. And do not be late coming from Anchorage. It takes a while with traffic. So <laughs> if if you leave early, make sure you are r- arriving on time. And a little bit of advice. Do not stand in line for a hot dog at a food truck thinking that you're <laughs> going to be back in time to see the mushers go. Because with only a handful of teams, that line in, that line in the food truck for a hot dog, you will probably miss the whole field. Michelle, do you have anything else you want to add before closing? Dress right. It's going to be another crispy morning. Yes, we're going to drive our snow. Uh. Yes, we're going to drive our snow machine <laughs> over so it will be nice and chilly. Uh, but we learned our lesson a few years ago trying to drive over there, and we're only a few miles uh, from from the restart. My last little bit is tomorrow is the restart for our coverage here on Mushing Radio. So we will talk about that. We're going to talk about uh, where folks left in terms of starting order. We did not mention that uh, the other night on our kickoff show. So we'll talk about who's first and who's last and sort of all that. And we will also jump into the first day or so on the race, the checkpoints and, and all that. And then, of course, we will cover our musher of the day and we never tell anybody who it is until you hear it right here on this podcast so we keep that uh under our belt so to speak and then we will end with our question of the day so stay tuned the i did a question the i did a question hashtag i did a question is what we are using so stay tuned for that and make sure you hit that subscribe button so you will never miss an episode and you don't have to worry about when we're going to air because we said we're going to air at 7 p.m Alaska time, and it's now 8.25 when we're going to hit that end button. So it will be up before 9 o'clock Alaska time. So with all that being said, we will hear, we will hear, we will talk to you guys next time. (laughs) Goodbye. From DogWorks Radio, this is Mushing Radio. We hope you enjoyed this episode, and we invite you to subscribe in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll find a link on the episode notes. You can tap or swipe on the episode cover art, and you'll see some offers from our sponsors. You can support our show by supporting them. If you like what you have heard, we would love it if you could give us a five-star rating and tell your friends how to subscribe, too. Your host is Robert Forto. Our producers are Michelle Forto, Alex Stein, and Tony Ryder. Our executive producer is Robert Forto. Created for DogWorks Radio and First Paw Media.